Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you, Nicole and Eric. Good to have Nicole back with us tonight. 1 Samuel 23, continuing our study of the life of David. 1 Samuel 23. Can I just tell you, I can't wait till Sunday too. I'm so excited about the service on Sunday and the music and the message that God has given me to share with you guys. And then, oh yeah, then potluck afterwards. I'm just not going to sleep between now and then. And tonight, so much good stuff here to cover. So let's, let's get started with this. To carry over from last week, as we looked at David, David learned two really hard lessons, important lessons in his life. One was how important it is to stay in fellowship with God. When David went out of fellowship with God last week back in chapter 21, disaster happened to David. And David had to learn the pain that, that he caused himself by getting out of fellowship with God. And then the second really hard lesson that David learned was that he had to stop running ahead of God and taking matters into his own hands. He had to learn to wait and let God lead him and, instead of running ahead of God. And we see that David has learned that lesson because when we pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 1 tonight, it says, They told David the Philistines are fighting in Keilah and are looting the threshing floors. Just like any good enemy, they waited till all the work was done and the harvest was in the threshing floors and then they came and stole it all. And so notice what David says though, or does in verse 2. David asked the Lord... Should I go down and strike these Philistines? Now, this, this isn't like David. I mean, David, David is a man that, you know, right out after Goliath. And, man, he's been fighting all these enemies. And, and even the song that the women sang, you know, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. Man, this man's a military man. And if there's something that needs to be done, there's no hesitation. We're going to go out there. We're going to take care of business. But David has learned that, that in spite of what it may look like, I still need to ask God first. I need to make sure that this is God's will. Just because I'm presenting with, presented with an opportunity doesn't mean that this is God's will. And so like we said last week, David didn't ask God. He didn't inquire of God and he got himself into trouble. So now that he's learned that lesson, he is taking time to consult God, to inquire of God and say, God, is this what you would want me to do? Do you want me to go down with these men that you've given me? And do you want me to take care of the Philistines? And the Lord said in verse two, go strike down the Philistines and deliver Keilah. But notice verse three. David's men said to him, remember God had brought David 400 men while David was on the run out there in the wilderness, 400 men to lead. And these men said to him, we're afraid while we're still here. What do you think we're going to be like when we get down there? We're not going against the armies of the Philistines. So David asked the Lord once again, but again, the Lord replied, arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. Now, a couple things here. First of all, notice something about leadership. There was resistance here. David didn't say, hey, this is what's what we should do. This is what the Lord wants us to do. And everybody was on board. Sometimes that happens. 
But many times in leadership, God's going to lead us to do something as leaders, and not everybody's going to be on board. We're going to meet resistance. That's just part of it. But a leader is going to, at some point, be able to rally the majority of the people behind them and get them to go with them. And that's exactly what David did here. Notice something else here. Leadership is about seeing the potential in others. And these 400 men that were so afraid of going down to fight the Philistines on this instance are the same 400 men later on in the Bible that become what what are called the mighty men of David. Some of the greatest heroes in the Old Testament, some of the greatest warriors, uh, uh, people who did unbelievable exploits. Same men. And so here again, you you can see that, that God himself sees in these men what they don't even see in themselves yet, and maybe what David even, as their leader, doesn't even see yet. But they're going to learn what they can do. And this is all part of that growing process. And then we learn something else. Even though these men were afraid, we're going to learn later on that they followed David down to fight the Philistines. And it reminds us of something that I remind myself of all the time. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is being able to do what I know God wants me to do in spite of the fear. That's what courage is. And that's exactly what happened here. So I hope this will encourage you. Because maybe God sees in you potential that you don't even see in yourself. And God is trying to to get to you know, take us through life and show us what he can do through our lives if we just turn our lives over to him rather than seeing ourselves uh, just from our own viewpoint. And we see that here in 1 Samuel 23. Also notice in verse 4 that when, he, when David did meet with, with resistance from these 400 men, he went back and he said, okay, God, I need to make sure. Maybe if it had just been him, Maybe the first time he prayed to God and got the answer, maybe that would have sufficed. But in leadership, when you know you're not just responsible for you, you're responsible for a lot of other people, David wanted to make sure he got this right. So he goes back, the Bible says, to God a second time and says, God, I'm just coming back. I just want to know, is this what you want? And again, notice what the Lord says in verse 4. Arise, go down to Keilah, but this time, this time, God, along with his response, gives David a promise. It's a way of reassuring David when he says at the end of verse 4, I will give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Keilah and fought the Philistines. He took away their cattle and thoroughly defeated them. David delivered or liberated the inhabitants of Keilah that day. And once again, God was with him in the battle. The battle was the Lord's. But the main thing I want you to notice there in the first five verses is that David asked the Lord, verse 2. Now notice verse 6. When Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, had fled to David at Keilah, he had brought with him an ephod. An ephod is a priestly garment that was used to get direction from God in the Old Testament. I'm not going to go into a lot of this tonight, but suffice it to say, we can be so thankful today 
that we don't need some garment to try to determine God's direction. God primarily leads and guides us today through His Word. And even when the Spirit of God guides us, most of the time, the Spirit of God will take us back to the Word of God. And even when we get godly counsel from other Christians, if they're doing it right, they're going to take us back to what the Word of God says. Thank God we have the Word of God to lead and guide us today. But in those days, the Word of God was not completed yet. It wasn't in the form that it is today. And so they had to rely on different forms of determining God's will. So when Saul was told that David had come to Keilah, verse 7, Saul said, God has delivered him into my hands, for he has boxed him in, into a corner, by entering a city with two barred gates. I'm going to share with you right now a principle that I think is one of the most important principles we're going to talk about tonight. And it's illustrated here in the life of Saul. I'll repeat it a couple of times if you're taking notes. When we are out of the will of God, we are going to be ignorant of the ways of God. Let me repeat that. When we are out of the will of God, we are going to be ignorant of the ways of God. We are going to misinterpret the circumstances of life. Saul's doing exactly that. Saul hasn't walked with God and been in fellowship with God for a long time. And yet Saul, when he sees the circumstances and sees that David is, in a sense, cornered, his response is, God has given me David. Well, first of all, God's never going to give Saul David. But because Saul's not walking with God, because Saul's not in fellowship with God, Saul is misinterpreting the circumstances of life. He thinks the way things are set up, that this is, this is what God wants. And he's totally missing it. And the reason that's so powerful is because I know in my own life, I've been there. We're going to see this in a positive way a little bit later with David. That's why it's so important for us to stay in fellowship with God. Because when we stay in fellowship with God and we walk with God, we can properly interpret the circumstances of life. Even, even to the extreme. Even in situations like, there's no way God would want me to get involved with that. And maybe he does. And then there's other times where like, surely God wants me to do that, right? Or get involved with that. No, not necessarily. It's not just about seeing the circumstances laid out before us, because like with Saul, we can misinterpret the circumstances. We can look at the circumstances and say, well, surely this is God's will, right? Because look at the way the circumstances have fallen out. But in order to properly interpret the circumstances, I've got to be walking with God. And Saul was not walking with God, therefore he was missing the ways of God. So Saul mustered all his army, thousands of men, verse 8, went down to Keilah and besieged David and his men. Tried to confine him, shut him in. When David realized that Saul was planning to harm him, he told Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod. Then David said, here again, notice, what's David doing? He's consulting God. He's praying, he's asking God, God, what's up? What do you want me to do? You know, he, he's not taking a step in his life now without talking to God. 
before he just ran and did what he wanted to do and got himself in all kinds of trouble. Remember, he acted like a fool down there in Gath. He was like a madman last week. But today, he's not taking a step without talking to God. And so David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has clearly heard that Saul is planning to come to Keilah to destroy the city because of me. Verse 10. So verse 11, David asked the Lord two questions. Will the leaders of Keilah deliver me into his hand? And second question, will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, please inform, make known to your servant. Notice that the Lord answers the second question but doesn't ask, answer the first until David asks again. The Lord said, he, speaking of Saul, will come down. David then asked, will the leaders of Keilah deliver me and my men into Saul's hand? And the Lord said, they will deliver you over. It was almost like, in my mind, it's like, even though God is God, and he, it's almost like God even hates to tell this to David. Yeah, that's what they're going to do. Think about this. These are the people that David just delivered. These are the people that David just helped. And now they're going to betray him. They're going to turn on him. And they're going to deliver him into Saul's hand if they get the opportunity. If you've ever been betrayed by people that you've helped, David can identify with you or you can identify with David. In fact, we're, not going, to see, we're going to see that this is not the last time this happens to David in his life. That's for sure. And so that had to be hard for David. And I think it was almost hard for God to say, yeah, you know what? Saul's coming down. That probably doesn't surprise you. But yeah, the people of Keilah, yeah, they're going to turn you over to Saul if they get the opportunity. So verse 13, David and his men, who numbered about 600, now he's added a couple hundred, set out and left Keilah. They moved around from one place to another. And when told that David had escaped from Keilah, Saul called halt to the expedition. David stayed in the strongholds. We talked about that extensively last week. One of the key words that David uses in the Psalms. He learned that God was his stronghold. It literally means his mountain fortress. David stayed in the strongholds that were in the desert and in the hill country of the desert of Ziph. Saul looked for him all the time. But notice, God did not deliver David into his hand. It didn't matter how much Saul looked for David God was in control. And God wasn't going to let Saul touch David. Because God had a greater plan for David. David realized that Saul had come out to seek his life. Verse 15, at that time David was in Horish in the desert of Ziph. Now we're reintroduced to another great character that we've already met. Jonathan, verse 16, the good friend of David. And what I want you to notice here is this. Jonathan, remember, has been back at the palace, back, you know, in, in, at the temple and all of that. David's been out running for his life in the wilderness. They parted several weeks ago when we saw him there in the field. And from where we believe Jonathan was to where David is now was probably over 30 to 35 miles. And Jonathan made a very, in those days, long journey to go encourage his friend just for a few minutes. And, and the impressive thing to me is just a reminder that, that if you and I are a good friend, there will be times where we will go out of our way, we will sacrifice to encourage a friend. That's what friends do. Jonathan went a long distance, sacrificed. 
in order to just be with his friend for a few minutes and try to encourage him. So notice what Jonathan does. Jonathan, son of Saul, left and went to David at Horish. He encouraged him through God, literally in the Hebrew. He helped him find strength and courage in God. That's what Jonathan did. That's what friends do. Every once in a while, all of us need support. We need to find our courage and strength in God. Jonathan wasn't coming to David saying, your strength and courage is in me. But he was an instrument used by God to help David find that strength and courage that he already had in God, but that was starting to wane through the protracted trial that he was going through. And that's what friends do. He wanted David to be strong again. One of my favorite verses in the Psalms is Psalm 46.1, where David said, God is our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in time of trouble. Psalm 46, verse 1. David learned throughout running for his life just how strong he could be in God and what a refuge, what a stronghold God was. Notice Jonathan went on to say in verse 17, he said to him, don't be afraid, for the hand of my father Saul cannot find you. You will rule over Israel and I will be your second in command. Even my father Saul realizes this. He's saying, David, don't forget the big picture here. God has anointed you as the future king of Israel. Nothing's going to happen to you. My father will never lay a hand on you. God will not permit it. And he's trying to re-encourage and, and remind David of the promises of God. That's what good friends do. Is there somebody tonight in your life that God may say to you, you need to go out of your way to try to encourage this person. Maybe you need to make some kind of sacrifice, but this person desperately needs encouraged. They need somebody to come alongside of them and help them find their strength and courage in God. They need support right now. Maybe not. But Jonathan was a good friend. We all need friends like Jonathan in our lives. But then notice verse 18. When the two of them had made a covenant before the Lord, David stayed on at Horish. Jonathan went to his house. I don't think that this meeting between David and Jonathan lasted too long at all. But it, again, it shows the extent that Jonathan went to because he knew his friend needed encouraged. I, I believe that he was probably moved by God. He was led by God to get out there, make that journey. You need to get to David. David needs encouraged. And isn't it great to be connected to a God that has, obviously, the hearts of his people uh, access to them. And he can lay it on our hearts. He can, he can bring someone to mind. He can, he can lay a, a face or a name on us to be praying for or to, to call or, or to write or, or to just get back in touch with. This is what God does. And I believe that this is exactly what God did to Jonathan. He said, Jonathan, David is, is, is discouraged right now. He, he's getting afraid again. Again, go out there and encourage him. And Jonathan was willing to go. Verse 19. Then the Ziphites, don't you love these Bible names? Went up to Saul at Gibeah and said, Isn't David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horish on the hill of Hakula, south of Jeshman? 
Now, at your own discretion, O king, come down. Delivering him into the king's hand will be our responsibility. So not only has David been betrayed by the people of Keilah who he's helped, now he's being, in a sense, betrayed by the Ziphites. You say, well, what's so significant about that? This is why this hurts even more than the people of Keilah. Because the Ziphites were from the tribe of Judah, David's own tribe. These were his people that were betraying him. That's why the Ziphites going to Saul and saying, Saul, hey, we'll give you David if that's what you want. That had to cut even deeper into David. Because David was from the tribe of Judah. And that's where the Ziphites were from. Saul replied, May you be blessed by the Lord. Yana, yana, yana. You know. For you've had compassion on me. Saul's always feeling sorry for himself. Go and make further arrangements. Determine precisely where he is and who has seen him there. For I am told that he's extremely cunning. By the way, that word in the Hebrew means shrewd or creative. I think God wants his people to be shrewd and creative. God, creator God, shows his creativity in the way he created the universe and the way he created us. And I think he naturally endows human beings and especially his people with creativity. And there were many times where David was on the run where he probably had to be a little creative to escape the hand of Saul. Nothing wrong with that. God wants our creative juices to flow. What is it tonight that maybe God may say to you, hey, you haven't really explored that area of creativity in your life. Why don't you be willing to do that? Nothing wrong with that. Our creator is, by his very nature, creative. And I think when we were made in the image of God, he made us to be creative as well. What's that mean to you? To David... It might have meant just being creative in the way he was escaping from Saul's hand, but we all have creativity placed within us by our Creator. Think about that tonight, and maybe God will lead you to something. Verse 23, locate precisely all the places where he hides and return to me with dependable information. Then I will go with you. If he's in the land, I will find him among all the thousands of Judah. So they left and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the desert of Maon in the Arabah to the south of Jeshimon. Saul and his men went to look for him, but David was informed and went down to the rock and stayed in the desert of Maon. I want to stop here for a moment. Because in the last three weeks, we've seen these terms that David has used of places where he he hid, where he was secure, where he was safe, that he then used to describe God and how he had learned that it wasn't really these physical places that he was hiding, but ultimately it was God that was his hiding place that we saw two weeks ago. And last week we looked at stronghold. Tonight, I want to look at this, the rock. There are three times where David uses this term, the rocky cliff or rocky crag to describe God. And I want to point them out to you tonight. So let's go to the Psalms real quick and look at these three verses. Psalm 18 verse 2 is where the first one is found. Psalm 18 verse 2. The Lord is my high ridge, is what my translation says there at the beginning of verse 2. My rock. 
literally it means a, a crevice or crag within the mountain that someone can go in and hide. That's what the word means. You are my high ridge, my stronghold, my deliverer. My God is my rocky summit. Same Hebrew word that's used back in 1 Samuel 23, verse 25, when David went down to the rock. My shield, the horn that saves me. Then go over to Psalm 31, verse 3. Psalm 31, verse 3. For you are my high ridge. Same Hebrew word. And my stronghold, for the sake of your own reputation, you lead me and guide me. And then finally, Psalm 71, verse 3. Be my protector and refuge, a stronghold where I can be safe. For you are my high ridge and my stronghold. So you see how many times David uses these words. Even though these were literal physical caves and, and crags and crevices and hiding places that David would hide when he was on uh, the run from Saul, he learned that really it was God that was his security, his stronghold, his hiding place, his rock, if you will. That ultimately it was God that provided the stability and security of his life. And hopefully that's true of us as well. Then back to 1 Samuel 23. When Saul heard about it, he pursued David in the desert of Maon. Verse 26, Saul went on one side of the mountain while David and his men went on the other side of the mountain. David was hurrying to get away from Saul, but Saul and his men were surrounding David and his men so that they could capture them. It looked like it's done. David is done. But oh, wait a minute. There's God always in the equation, right? And the Bible says in verse 27, a messenger came to Saul saying, come quickly for the Philistines have raided the land. So Saul stopped pursuing David and went to confront the Philistines. Gee, God showed up just in time. Now again, like in our life, David was probably like, uh, God, you can show up any time now. They've surrounded me. I've got nowhere to go. I'm boxed in. I'm shut in. I'm confined. I got nothing. And then the messenger came and Saul went in another direction. Again, what was God teaching David throughout this whole time? Trust me. Remember last week we said when we turn to God and trust him, we will triumph every time. Turn, trust, triumph. That's what David was learning to do as he ran for his life. I need to turn to God. I need to trust in him. I will triumph Every time. So the Bible says, Saul stopped pursuing David, went down to confront the Philistines. Therefore, the place is called Selah Hamalakoth, which literally means the rock of escape or division. In other words, division meaning that God at that point divided Saul from David. He put a division between the two so that Saul couldn't get to David. It's sort of the same picture whenever uh, Pharaoh and his army then stubbornly went after the Israelites again uh, after the pillar of fire disappeared and they went into the Red Sea and the Red Sea swallowed them up. God divided them. He would not let them get to his people. And God was doing the same thing here with David. He was not going to let Saul and Saul's army get to David. So David went up from there and stayed in the strongholds of En Gedi. Chapter 24. 
When Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, they told him, look, David is in the desert of En Gedi. The reason why I love En Gedi is because En Gedi is an oasis on the western side of the Dead Sea. Gee, an oasis. David found his oasis. Anytime you read about En Gedi in the Bible, that's an oasis. And David found his oasis. All of us need an oasis in our life. David found his at En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 select men, verse 2, from all Israel and went to find David and his men in the region of the rocks of the mountain goats. He came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. Yep, that's exactly what he did. Literally in the Hebrew, it means he covered his feet. He went in to go to the bathroom in the cave. Now, I'm not going to go down through this chapter like I have chapter 23 tonight. I'll pick it up here in a moment. But here's what happens. Saul goes in to relieve himself in the cave, and then he decides to take a nap for a little bit. Not realizing that David and some of his mighty men are in that cave way back deep in the recesses. Here's David's chance, right? Just like what Saul thought. Man, God has delivered Saul to me on a silver platter. He's asleep. He'll never know. I could just kill him. Even David's men are like, David, look at the circumstances. God must have delivered Saul into your hand. You need to kill him, right? And David just didn't believe that that's what God wanted at all. David does... I guess get enough anger maybe or frustration or whatever within him that the Bible says David did take the opportunity to cut off a corner of Saul's robe while he was asleep. And David's men are like, David, I can't believe you're passing up this opportunity. Remember last week I, I shared with you or on Sunday I said we're, we're going to see one of the greatest miracles, I think, in the Bible, because when we think of miracles, we think of things like the parting of the Red Sea and the crossing of the Jordan and all of that. But I personally think that one of the greatest miracles that God does in all of our lives, including David here, is overcoming our own human fallen nature. And it would have been so easy for David to say, I'm done running. Here's my out. Let me just kill Saul and get this over. God's already anointed me king anyway, right? So can I justify this anyway? Because isn't this what God eventually wants? I'm just helping God along, right? I'm just speeding it up. That, that's what we would all say to rationalize the situation. And his men are saying the same thing. But the Bible says as soon as David even cut off the corner of Saul's robe, he was pricked in his conscience. He felt bad about doing it. And he said, I should not have raised my hand against the Lord's anointed. Basically, David said, that's who God put in place. And until God removes him, I have no right to take matters into my own hands and to remove him myself. If God wants Saul out, God can take care of Saul. That's not up to me. And here's the other great miracle. The Bible says that David restrained 600 of his men from jumping on Saul and Saul's men and killing them all. Because, I mean, you got to... They, they smelled blood in the water. This is like sharks. We've got them. We've got them dead to rights. There's no way out. It's, it's right there, right? 
No. David said, no. And his men followed him. They said, okay, David, we, we don't get it, but if this is what you think, then we'll follow. We won't do anything. When, when we can overcome our natural human instincts through the power of God, that's a miracle. And I believe that what David did in that cave and what, what these men did by not going after the blood was truly a miracle of God at that point in their lives. And here's now the other side of that coin we looked at earlier. Because again, if we're not walking with God, we're going to misinterpret circumstances. And we're going to go, well, this has got to be God's will for Saul to die now, right? I mean, he, he, God's the one that probably led him into this cave to go to the bathroom, and then he falls asleep, and we're all here. How did he know out of all the caves to go in that, that he was going to walk into the cave that we were here? Surely this is God's will, right? No. And that's why we need to be in fellowship with God at all times and walk with God, because if not, we will misinterpret the circumstances of life. When things seem so obvious that this is what we should do, there's going to be times where God says, no, that's not what I want you to do. And there's going to be other times where it's so counterintuitive. We're like, there's no way God would want us to do that. And God says, yeah, I want you to do that. For instance, like when God told Peter, yeah, step out of the boat and walk on water. Really? That's what you want me to do? And that's why we've got to stay in fellowship with God. So many Christians have caused themselves and others a lot of pain because they misinterpreted the circumstances of life, the cards that they were dealt. And they assume by just looking at the circumstances and not walking with God and truly praying about it and consulting with God that this is what God wanted or this is what God didn't want. We can't live life that way. We've got to live by the leading of the power of the Spirit of God and by God's Word. And that's what David was learning to do. Waiting on God and letting God lead and not take matters into his own hands. Now, David does do this. We'll wrap this up here in the last five minutes. David does. When Saul finally gets up from his nap and walks out of the cave, I think David was led to confront Saul. And so you can imagine this. Saul doesn't even know anything has happened because I believe that probably as small a piece of, of Saul's robe that he cut off, Saul probably didn't even know anything had happened at this point. Saul's clueless. Saul gets up out of the cave and starts walking out of the cave and all of a sudden he gets pretty far out of the cave and all of a sudden he hears this voice from behind him and it's David. And the Bible says, hey, David says to Saul, Saul, I'm paraphrasing here. I got a bone to pick with you. Why do you keep chasing me and running after me? I've done nothing to you. In fact, Saul, Here's what I'm going to tell you that you don't know now until this point. You were just in that cave, right? And if you look down at your robe, you're going to see a corner of it cut off. And you know who cut it off? I did. I had the chance, Saul, just a few minutes ago to end this and to kill you and to get rid of you for good. And I didn't do it. What kind of a man are you, Saul, that you continue to chase after me? Something needs to happen, Saul. 
And I don't think it's me that needs to change Saul. I think it's you. In fact, notice in verse 15, David asked God three things. In 1 Samuel 24, 15, during this conversation with Saul, may the Lord be our judge and arbiter, one. May he see and arbitrate my case, two. And three, deliver me from your hands. Basically, David's saying, I want God to be the judge. I want him to be my defense attorney. And I want him to deliver me from your hands. When David finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is that your voice, my son, David? Then Saul wept loudly. Keep that in mind. Something that we need to remember. Emotion in people doesn't necessarily mean repentance. Sometimes Christians too easily start trusting others again just because there's emotion. Emotion alone really means very little. Then he said to David, You are more innocent than I, for you have treated me well even though I tried to harm you. You have explained today how you've treated me well. The Lord delivered me into your hand, but you did not kill me. Now, if a man finds his enemy, does he send him on his way in good shape? May the Lord repay you with good this day for what you have done to me. Now, look, look at this. This is this is something. Verse 20. I realize that you will be, in fact, the king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. That word established means actually that it's going to become more powerful or rise. In other words, what Saul is acknowledging is, I know that when you take over Israel and you become king, it's going to become strong again. Because right now with me, king, it's weak. What an admission from Saul. So now swear to me, Saul says, in the Lord's name that you will not kill my descendants after me or destroy my name from the house of my father. And David promised Saul this on an oath. Then Saul went to his house, and David and his men went up to the stronghold, the secured, fortified place. Why is that significant? Because, again, some Christians have been in situations like this where they were involved with someone like a Saul in their life that they just couldn't trust. Over and over again, they kept coming back, and this person kept doing the same thing over and over again. And they might have even shown emotion. I'm sorry. Never happen again. But notice, David in his wisdom didn't say, Oh, okay, Saul, well, I'll come back now. I'll start playing the harp for you again so that you can keep throwing spears at me. No. No, David didn't do that. Because even if Saul's heart would have changed that day, David was still wise in being cautious and not just completely turning his life back over into the hands of Saul. It takes time to build trust. And there's nothing that Saul has done up to this point to show David that David can truly put his life in Saul's hands. That's why David that day didn't follow Saul back. He went back into the stronghold. Because we're going to learn, Saul wasn't done chasing David. 
He was going to go back and do the same thing he's always done. And there was wisdom there. Wisdom there. Look, as I said on Sunday, God wants us to develop relationships and and get glued to each other and be close. But the Bible also says in the book of Proverbs that a wise man is cautious in his friendships. We've also got to be careful, too. We've got to make sure that the people we're opening ourselves up to and, and whatever, that we can truly trust them. If not, then it would be unwise on our part to continue to go back and trust someone when they haven't proven that they can be trusted over time. Should we always be open to them changing? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what God's all about, changing lives. But there's got to be proof first. John the Baptist makes a great point. I'll close with this in the New Testament when he says, we need to bring forth fruit that fits our repentance. In other words, what the principle simply is, is a person can say, I'm sorry. They can say, you know, I'll I'll do better next time or whatever. But the wise thing is to just watch them and see, have they truly changed? Has something changed? Or are we just basing it on their emotion and on the words of their mouth? But really, when we look, the actions have not changed. See, the Bible, I think, would teach us to be wise and cautious and make sure that we see some true change in their behavior, some true change in action before we just throw ourselves back out there to get the spear thrown at us again. That's why, to me, a a great book that I think every Christian should read is the book Boundaries. (laughs) It's just a really good book about putting healthy boundaries up in your life with with even family members and, and people in your life that just are very unhealthy or toxic or abusive or you name it. That's what David's learning to do. I'm going back to the stronghold. I'm not ready to trust Saul yet. And it's a good thing, because Saul really hasn't given us any reason to trust him either. So, as we leave the study tonight, here's what else we've, we've learned. How important it is to stay in fellowship with God. When one is out of the will of God, one cannot know the ways of God and will misinterpret the circumstances of life every time. We need to be walking with God so that we can properly determine and decipher the circumstances of life. And secondly, just like David, we need to learn to wait, let God lead, instead of taking matters into our own hands. If there's one thing that stood out to me in these chapters tonight, it was how often David consulted, asked, inquired of God before he did something. Because he wanted to make sure, unlike before, that this was truly what God wanted and not just what David wanted. Let's pray. God, thank you for the lessons from the life of David. Thank you, God, for what you did in his life. For how strong you were making him. How you were building in him a greater trust and confidence in your leadership in his life how you were making him a strong leader for your people, Israel. But God, yet we know that he had a a rough life. His life was not easy. 
There were many trials and tribulations and betrayals and sufferings that David went through. But all the while, Lord, you were with him. You were his hiding place. You were his stronghold. You were his rocky cliff where he could feel secure and be safe from the enemies that were hunting him. And God, I pray tonight for each of us that whatever life brings our way, whatever enemies comes into our life, whatever hostilities and persecutions and and anything, Lord, throughout our life that comes, that, Lord, we will learn to, first of all, consult you, walk with you, and run to you. Because there's no one else like you. You are a God who loves us more than we could ever imagine. And so, God, just help us to continue to trust you more. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, folks, don't miss Sunday. It's going to be a great Sunday here at the Oasis. Potluck after. Going to have a great time. So we'll see you on Sunday. Have a great week.